Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. That baptism is always such a profound uh, night to be a part of and to celebrate and you probably noticed either a really tall person shot that video or it was one of those drones. And so uh, I should tell you this, there, were, there was a, someone who from the church had a drone that night filming a lot of that. And I was standing in the water and I kept hearing this buzzing sound. And I, I, you know, I kind of kept doing this because I, I thought it was one of those famous Folsom Lake sharks that was humming through the water. It freaked me out. And finally someone goes... Look up in the air, and I saw the thing. So that was a, that's a powerful video. That I, I've mentioned this before, that the, the people that we had baptized that night, for some reason that evening represented to me what the church is supposed to be about uh, in terms of reaching out to people across different ages and backgrounds and bringing them to knowledge of Christ and baptizing them. So it was a beautiful thing. Speaks to who we are as a church and why we exist. And our scripture reading today does as well. It speaks to who we are, and it speaks to why we exist. So I want to invite you to stand if you would. It's a rather long passage, so lean against the chair in front of you if you are going to be fatigued. But this is coming from Matthew or from Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of all the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young 
goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father, said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is by far one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible because it so profoundly and beautifully captures the heart of humanity, young, old, every age in between, and it so profoundly and beautifully captures the heart of God. This is the story, as you may know, of the prodigal son. Prodigal meaning a wandering, wayward son, and his reunion with his gracious and good and loving father. Now, we didn't read the first couple of verses of Luke chapter 15, but they are critical to understanding Jesus' point in this whole story. Luke says the tax collectors and the sinners were attracted to Jesus in the opening two verses. More and more of them were flocking to hear what he had to say. What he was saying, and I would suggest how he was saying it, was bringing hope and life to those in the society that the religious people had long since written off. Luke says the religious leaders were complaining, saying things like, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus catches wind of their attitude, and he decides to tell a few stories to confront this attitude. And each of the three stories he tells in Luke chapter 15 are about something of value being lost a treasure being lost. And this driving passion and driving pursuit to find the lost treasure and restore it to its rightful place. So this is the context of the prodigal son story. And I'd like to pause with that for a moment, leave it there, and we'll come back to it in a second. Several months ago, our son's girlfriend told Julie about a movie called The Greatest Showman. The movie is inspired by the circus entrepreneur P.T. Barnum, but beyond his name sort of in the movie, the movie is not in any way historically accurate. It's a musical. And so one night, Julie and I sat down, and I'll admit I had rather low expectations, but we watched the movie. And for whatever reasons, we were both swept up into the movie. It pulled at something in each of us. And the movie has prodigal son themes. And the last song we are considering in our Songs I Can't Stop Singing series is from that movie, and it is called From Now On. If you saw the movie, it's the last song in the movie. And the first time I heard the song, I thought right away about the story of the prodigal son. There's something about the song that captures the heart of a prodigal and the resolve, the determination, the intention of a prodigal who is starting to awaken from their wanderings. And I found myself in the song. And I bet, this is no exaggeration, I've listened to it somewhere between 50 and 100 times since then. And I'm being conservative, so you don't think I'm completely nuts. But the song strikes at something. It awakens something in me. And I can't really explain what the something is, but I think emotion is part of it. And that's a scary word for a lot of people especially sitting in a church service. Feeling. It's a word we don't always know what to do with in life and especially in church. But to be fully human is to feel. 
So our devotion to God involves our feelings. And now and then, seems to me, we are moved by who God is. And we are moved by what God has done and by what God is doing. We see or we hear truth, but it doesn't just land on us as a set of facts. It ignites emotion. And I would suggest this is a very good thing. And so today I want us to feel this story more than understand it. I want us to feel the prodigal son's longing for home. And I want us to especially feel the magnificent love of his compassionate father and feel the implications of all of this for us individually and for us as a church as we live in these challenging times. Because this story has a whole bunch to say about what Christians are to be like in this world. And it has a whole bunch to say about what we as a church are to be like in this world. So today, today we are gathered together as one local church at one service. And we're gathered in all of our differences. And this value of difference is a huge value to me and to the soul of Oak Hills. That we are different people, different ages, different gender, different backgrounds, different status, different income. In many respects, different faiths, different spots where we are on the faith journey, different politics. All of this difference gathered together today as we are one church at one service. And this prodigal son story reveals the heart of the gospel and the heart of the church. And it reveals the heart of who we want to be as Oak Hills Church. So I want to give five, it's going to go pretty fast, but five pictures from this story. And each of these pictures described with just a single word. And the first word is wandering. Verse 12 of what we read, 12 and 13. The young son says, Father, give me my share of my inheritance. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. In Jesus' time, the older son was entitled to twice as much inheritance as anyone else. So in this story, the oldest son would be in line for two-thirds of his father's estate, and the younger son would get one-third. Now feel this for a second. The younger son asks his father for one-third of his estate, and he wants it right now. So this is like one of my three children saying to Julie and me, you know, someday you're both going to die. And who knows how long that's going to take. And I don't really want to wait. So can you give me my share of the estate right now? And the response to that would be, it ain't much. And two, no. I mean, it's insulting to even ask. But did you catch this? The father in the story obliges his son and gives him his share of the inheritance because that's the heart of God. He lets us do what we want to do. So the son, we're told, goes off to a distant country. Now, why would he do that? He goes where no one knows him. He goes where no one knows his family. He goes where no one knows his past or his heritage. And he goes there to make a fresh start and make a new life. Specifically, he goes there to live the high life and do whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, 
where no one's going to question him by virtue of knowing him. And in the process, he squanders every nickel of his inheritance. And I ask this question, who of us cannot relate to this kid? There's a line in the song, From Now On, and it talks about being blinded by the lights, enticed by the world, pulled away by all of the things that promise fulfillment and promise satisfaction. The line, another line says, the crazy speed of always needing more. Who of us can't relate? So we wander away from God in search of life and in search of fulfillment. And just so we get on the same page, people outside of faith certainly live as prodigals, but we live as prodigals as well. There is a prodigal in all of us. A wanderer. And I don't mean back then. I mean right now today. The lyrics of an old hymn say, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And who of us can't relate? So the emotion in this story is partly grief over our fickleness. Grief, emotion over our proneness to wander. I've been seeking to follow Jesus to some degree or another since I was 19 years old, but I am still very much a prodigal son. I've come home, but I regularly pack and leave again. I wander. I chase bright lights. And I would urge each one of us today to feel the reality of our own wanderings. The ways we seek satisfaction outside of God, being blinded by the flashing lights of our world, whatever they happen to be. See, the soul of who we are as a congregation, and a lot of it is represented here today, the soul of who we are as a congregation is shaped by the extent to which we know and own our wanderings. Meaning, do we see ourselves as a gathering of prodigals? Do we recognize that we are a community of wanderers? Is this awareness embedded in the DNA of Oak Hills? Second word in picture is awakening. Verse 17 of Luke 15, speaking of the young son, when he came to his senses. Such a profound yet simple little statement. He woke up. Something clicked. He realized he was wasting his life. He was calling a pig pen his home. And finally, he faced reality. Somehow God got his attention. attention. Tapped hard enough on his shoulder and got his attention. And this young guy turned and came to his senses. And he started seeing reality and he started naming reality. My father's hired servants have food to spare And here I am, starving to death. The song From Now On has the line, The pitfalls of the man I became. It's the emotion of coming to grips with reality and admitting what is actually there. And again, I don't want us to push this off on the poor unfortunate souls, as we sometimes say, out there who don't go to church or don't know God. That's not what we're talking about. Because as prodigals, we ourselves need wake-up calls. We need to be stirred out of our slumber 
to come to our senses and see reality. School started recently, as you know. Schedules are back in full swing. And in addition to our own tendency to wander, the world we inhabit every day is filled with people who are hurting, hungry, and lonely. They are longing for something, and they can't name what it is. But this hurt and hunger and loneliness and longing gets buried beneath the surface of busy lives. So people look fine, sound fine, say they are fine, but may not actually be so fine. A number of years ago, Marilyn Robinson wrote an award-winning novel called Gilead. It's about a dying pastor who writes a series of letters to his young son, where in these letters he reflects on his life and he reflects on his many years in the ministry. And at one point he says this, that's the strangest thing about this life, about being in the ministry. People change the subject when they see you coming. I know that to be true. (laughs) Especially on the golf course. And then sometimes those very same people come into your study and tell you the most remarkable things. There's a lot under the surface of life. Everyone knows that. A lot of malice and dread and guilt and so much loneliness where you wouldn't really expect to find it either. See, we live in this kind of world. You go out every day into this kind of world surrounded by the lonely, the angry, the fearful, the guilt-ridden, and the shame-soaked. And God works to get ours and their attention so he can invite us home. Third word in picture is the word returning. Verse 18, the young son says from his friendly confines of a pig pen, I will set out and go back to my father. This is the resolve of a man who is tired of pretending and striving and trying to do it on his own, and he wants to go home. Home is an emotional word. And I know for some of us, it's not a word we associate with fond memories. But in Jesus' story, home is reunion with his father. Home is good. Home is restoration. So the son wakes up and he decides to return home. This is a picture of repentance. Tired of one way, ready for a new way. In the song, From Now On, that phrase, from now on, is the awakened resolve of the prodigal who has decided to turn around and finally go home and live differently. And again, I realize the image of home is not always a good one, but I think most people long for home as home was meant to be. Welcoming, loving, gracious, joy-filled, Maybe most of all, safe. So when we, or a friend, or a family member, or a fellow student at school, or a neighbor we live near, or a co-worker, or a stranger we meet in everyday life, wakes up or starts to wake up from the wandering, what then? Where do we, or where do they go? Where is home? as we're talking about it here. And of course, home is ultimately God. But let's press in. What does it actually look like 
to return to God? How do wanderers find their way back to God? When people wake up, what does it look like for them to actually return to God? And I want to suggest to you that part of what it looks like is church. So feel this for a second. Feel this vision. Church is supposed to be home. Incarnating God's stunning welcome. So when we wake up from our wandering, we return and we find God in church and we find His grace and His love and His welcome. Church is supposed to be home. So when people in this world start waking up and returning, they find God and His grace and His love and His welcome. And if church isn't home, then it isn't church. If people who are broken and sinful and off track and struggling are not welcome with open arms at church, then it isn't church. Fourth word is feasting. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, this young guy, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the church. And this is the heart of what we want Oak Hills Church to be as a local expression of Jesus' church. We want Oak Hills to be home where people who have been wandering can return and find the grace and the love and the open-armed welcome of the Father. See, the prodigal had a plan. And here was his plan. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Remember, Jesus is telling these stories because there's a group of people who don't like the fact that tax collectors and sinners and other unsavory people are gravitating toward Jesus. Jesus is telling this story so he can drive home the point of who God is actually like and what God is actually like. So while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to welcome him. And he saw him from far off because the father was looking for him. The father was hoping for him. The father was waiting for him. Maybe you notice this, but the planned repentance speech of the prodigal gets interrupted by the joy of the father. The fact the son had come back home, in other words, was the repentance. He didn't finish his repentance speech, but the words really were not important. His actions demonstrated his repentance. And I hope you got this. The father could not wait to shower his grace and love and acceptance on his son. Jesus is being very purposeful here. We ought not miss it. This is what God is like toward people who wake up And return home. You're wondering why tax collectors and sinners are drawn to Jesus? They're drawn to him because this is what God is like. He offers something to those 
who feel like they've been discarded. It is not hard to imagine the myriad of thoughts racing through the son's mind as step by step he walked back home. Can you imagine the guilt he felt each step? The shame he was carrying as he imagined the day when he'd be face to face with this father he demanded his inheritance from. The explanation that he would offer. How am I going to say this? What should I say? Will he accept it? The repentance he would have to make and undoubtedly the penance he would have to do. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. If we are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is our story, and this is our God. And if we can't feel the son's guilt and shame, and what he must have felt when he first saw his dad coming, you know that day of reckoning moment, when you go, boy, i got to face this. And all of a sudden, here he comes. We have to be able to feel the fear in the sun. He's going to smack me with the back of his hand. We have to feel his embarrassment. I can't believe what I've done. That distance that the father is away from the son, and every step the son is realizing it's about to happen. We have to feel that. And if we can't feel the son's guilt and shame, And what he must have felt when he first saw his dad coming. And then what he ultimately felt when he saw his dad running toward him. And he heard his dad weeping with joy. And he saw his dad with his arms stretched out wide. If we can't feel the relief, the thrill, the joy, then we don't really know what grace is. And we don't really know the agape love of the Father. And we may not realize that we were, and more importantly, still are, prodigals ourselves. The Father cut short his son's repentance speech. What am I going to say? How am I going to say it? i got to say it the right way so he really knows I'm sorry and doesn't think I want to just get back in and maybe get a little more coin once he passes. The father cut all that short to announce a great feast in the honor of his son who had come home. This picture, this unbelievable story, was told by Jesus to etch an image of the Father's love into the hearts of those who heard Jesus' words or still hear Jesus' words. This is your God. And this is how we are to be. Whenever one of us returns home or whenever anyone we know returns home, we are to be a person of lavish grace and welcome. And we are to be a church of lavish grace and open-armed welcome. So we come to the last word, welcoming. See, in terms of our relationship with God, we can always go home. We can always return. We cannot wander too far enough away So that return is impossible. I hope we get that. 
We can't wander far enough away so that return is impossible. God's grace will not allow such things. We can always return. Jesus always invites us to return to him. And he looks for us and he waits for us. And I want this to grab us. The church is to be the manifestation of his grace and his love in this world. So when people awaken and come home, they find in us God's amazing grace and his agape love and his open-armed welcome. See, this is about the culture of a congregation who knows what it is, a gathering of prodigals, and what it isn't, and is ready and willing to extend grace and extend love to any who decide to return. See, there is an emotional connection most of us have with the experience of home or with the longing for home. We long to be loved this deeply. We long for it to be true that we can be the prodigal we are and still be loved this way. We long to experience this kind of transforming grace that doesn't wait for the right words but rushes to forgive and to feast. We long for the welcome of a father we fear we've disappointed. But then we come to verse 28 of this Luke 15 And it says, the older brother became angry. See, the older brother never technically left his father's property. He never technically packed up and moved beyond the borders of his dad's land. So, because he didn't do that, he never considered himself a prodigal. So when the young son returned and a party was thrown, the older brother sulked and shook his head in disgust, and critiqued from a distance, and judged. And too often, you probably know where this is going, the church acts exactly like the older brother. If church isn't home, then it isn't church. If people who are broken, really broken, and really sinful, and really off track, and really struggling, are not welcome with open arms, then it isn't church. See, this story is our story, ours individually, ours as a community. Each of us is the prodigal. We wander, and we live in a world of wanderers. As you know, there is much fear many Christians have about the state of the world these days and where everything is heading. Lots of fear. The loss of morality strikes fear in the hearts of many, many Christians. The political chaos of our nation strikes fear in people, makes people angry. The world is a mess. But here's the question. Is God right now scrambling to try to figure out how to respond? Is he having emerging emergency cabinet meetings trying to figure out what are we going to do, guys? Or is God still God? And is his plan still in play? Namely to bring people to himself through others, and through his church. See, the very thing our hearts long for, home, love, grace, open-armed welcome, are the very things the world needs. 
And my hope is that we would resolve together that from now on, no more hiding off by ourselves in isolationism, doing our religious thing on our own, for there is no such thing. No more hiding our hurt or our loneliness beneath the surface of a busy life. No more pretending. No more wandering. That we would resolve we will keep coming home to one another and to the church. We keep returning to the fellowship of one another in Christ. And we stand as the church of Jesus Christ in this world called together to display his amazing grace and agape love and opened-armed welcome to the hungry and to the hurting and to the lonely of this world, that we would resolve that we are called together to be a kind of home for those who awaken and want to return to the God who created them. This is who we are. This is where we stand. This is why we exist. This is our creed. Let's pray. Our Father, we simply revel in the absolute stunning good news of this story. That there might be a father like this. gets to the longing of our heart. This is what we want. This is what we wonder about. Could it be that you are like this? Could it actually be that this is not a fairy tale? Could it be that our return is your joy? And the occasion of our return is the occasion of a feast. I pray that in the only ways that you know how to do and what to do, that you will instill in us individually this vision of grace way beyond our borders, grace beyond our ability to explain it, grace beyond our ability to understand it, love that never quits, love that keeps reaching out to the hurting of this world. I pray that you will instill this into us individually and knit this into the soul of who we are as a congregation that we might somehow be able to represent home in a world full of wanderers and that we ourselves will return and we will meet with open arms others who return as well.